Would you take the word of God and turn with me to the book of uh, Exodus and uh, chapter 20. Exodus and chapter 20, we are entering into the, we've entered already into the second part of the Ten Commandments. The first part were addressed, uh, primarily addressed man's relationship with God and The second set of uh, commandments address man's relationship with his fellow man. And we noted that the order is the things that concern our relationship to God come first. And that everything else with regards to our relationship with man come out of that. And so if we work on getting a relationship with God right, then our relationship with man will naturally Uh, flow as it ought. Uh, No man can say, I love God, but hate his brother. The Bible says that that man is a liar. The trouble is not that he hates his brother. The problem is that he says he loves God. And the truth is he does not. You cannot love God, but then have no desire to please him in uh, the way he desires for us to conduct ourselves in this world. And so we dealt with the first one, and really the first commandment with regards to man is foundational because it is the first human relationship. Honor thy father and thy mother. That's the first relationship that any man has. It's a relationship with his parents and how that relationship ought to be cherished. And really, the way that that relationship uh, is formed will often affect the remainder of their lives. By the way, it's why it is very important to. Uh, raise up children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's important for them to be in church, to be in a Christian home, and to be taught the things of the Lord, uh, because then uh, you're setting a good pattern for the remainder of their lives. And so that's a foundational commandment. We are coming now to the sixth commandment in uh, Exodus chapter 20. And so as we come here to the sixth commandment, Uh, We might be tempted to say, as we'll see in just a moment, verse 13, we might be tempted to say, as many do, uh, to measure our spirituality by our obedience to it, to this commandment. And after all, we may say, well, most people have not transgressed the sixth commandment. And we might say, well, that is true if you only look at the letter of the law. Uh, In our study of these commandments, we are interested in going, however, beyond the letter of the law, and we are interested in the spirit of the law. Uh, What is the intent of the sixth commandment? Uh, And will we respond honestly when we are confronted with the spirit of this commandment? Now, I will be honest with you, when I began my journey to try to get into the spirit of this commandment, It took me further than I thought it would take me. And so we're going to see where that takes us. But once we establish the spirit of the sixth commandment, we can then establish uh, some positive virtues. Most of those commandments, if you notice, are in the negative, except for the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother is a positive thing. But all of the other commandments with regards to man is thou shalt not. And so those are negative, and there is a positive virtue on the other side of that commandment that we can cultivate in our lives. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, would you stand with me And in Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Every 
time we've been adding a commandment. And maybe as we go through those commandments, uh, the Lord would remind us of what those commandments mean. And so, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, the Bible says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that, thou, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Verse 13, Thou shalt not kill. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful that we have your word. And Lord, as we begin to study this sixth commandment, we pray that you would help us to think about the spirit of this command and what is intended and how we ought to think about this commandment. And Lord, I pray that there would be a sincere examination in our lives whether we have violated the spirit of this commandment. As Jesus Christ spoke of it, and as the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter also spoke of this, and as God intended from the very beginning, help us, Lord, not to be neglectful of these commandments and to think ourselves to be okay because on the surface... Uh, we have not violated them. Lord, help us not to be superficial Christians. Uh, but in a sense, by your Spirit, you would give some depth to the truth that we study. And uh, we ask for clarity uh, of my speech and my mind as I deliver the truth of your Word. Help me to always be faithful to your Word. And if not, remove me from influence. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We come here to this um, sixth commandment, and I'm going to do as I've usually done as we've looked at this commandment, is to ask a series of questions. And really when we think about this commandment, the first question is, why is this commandment of such great importance? Why is this commandment so important? And when we think about this commandment, I think we might be aware that there is a first mention or a first event as to when this commandment was violated. Now, although the commandment was not given, uh, man knew that he was sinning against God, and that's found in Genesis chapter 4. So let's begin 
back at the beginning when we find the violation of this sixth commandment. Back in Genesis chapter 4, we know that man sinned in Genesis chapter 3. We have the birth of uh, Cain and Abel after that. We know that in Genesis chapter 4, Cain offered an offering to the Lord that was not accepted. Abel offered an offering to the Lord that was accepted. And we know that Cain was, the Bible says, was wroth and he was angry. And when he was talking to his brother in the field, the Bible says he slew him. That is the first account in the Bible that we have of, as you think, just in the letter of the law, of a man killing another man. In this case, it's, it's a brother. But we go just a, a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 9, if you go there with me in Genesis chapter 9, and notice verse 6. This is after the flood. God establishes uh, some uh, commandments, if you would, after to those new generations that are going to come from the sons of Noah. And in Genesis chapter 9, notice with me and in verse 6, here's the commandment. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And here is the important part, for in the image of God made he man. So when we think here about the first mention of of this commandment, what act, uh, what was the act of killing a man condemned? Well, obviously it was from the very beginning before any of the Ten Commandments Uh, were spoken of. And I believe here we have to make a reference when we think about the idea here, the sin of killing another man, uh, that we have to attach that to the fact that the law of God is written in the heart of man. And when we think about the law of God, as Romans 2 talks about, the law of God is written in the heart of man, uh, that means that there is a a general, they may not know the spirit of the law, but there is an understanding of the moral standard that is acceptable in society and that is unacceptable in society. And one of those is mentioned from the very beginning in the book of Genesis. And so the act of killing a man was condemned at the onset. And what is it that was to happen to the man that violated this command? Well, it was that he was to lose his life. If a man sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Uh, We see that God gave that authority, by the way, not generally to individuals, but he gave that responsibility to those in authority, to government, to carry out, to be the emissaries of God, to be the punishment for the punishment of evildoers and for the reward of them that do good. It is not given to an individual to avenge himself or to avenge someone that, uh, that he loves that has been uh, killed. It is given uh, to... Uh, to a government and to authorities. And so those who violate this command are to be put to death. And, and then we have the most important part is what reason was given to justify this severe condemnation? That if you kill a man, then you would be killed. God says, here's the reason, for in the image of God made he man. You see, The reason why it is not permissible for any man to take another man's life is because that man is made in the image of God. 
as we see in the Word of God. By the way, the Word of God does condone and instruct on the death penalty. And I believe as believers, if we're going to be consistent with the Word of God, uh, we ought to advocate, although it's going away from our society, we ought to advocate and promote that those who kill people ought to be put to death by the state. That's, by the way, a biblical truth. Now, some people will come at this time and say, well, what if a man is innocent? Well, by the way, we have a legal system. It has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. So if there is reasonable doubt, then somebody is not condemned. But if there is absolutely no doubt, and by the way, in many cases, by the way, people live a full life, although there is clear proof, admitted proof, that they have violated God's commandment. And the importance of that, by the way, as you see the erosion of truth in our society, the reason why people are moving away from that is because they've moved away from God. Because they no longer regard as man being created in the image of God. And the moment that man is no longer seen as being created in the image of God, then he is uh, deemed uh, as uh, unimportant and uh, the laws of God unworthy to be carried out. And so this commandment is of great importance because man is made in the image of God. By the way, there's only two times, as far as my understanding is concerned, uh, that the idea of man not killing another man, the reason for that is because man is made in the image of God. There's only twice that that is mentioned in that way in the Word of God. The second time it is mentioned is it is, it is in James chapter 3, verse 8, where the Bible says this, But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Now, the context of that, he says, you can kill people with your tongue. And we're going to visit that in just a moment. But you see, he says, you cannot, you cannot and ought not to curse man. Why? Because man is made in the image of God. To kill a man is to attack the image of God. To curse a man is to curse the image of God. By, by the way, children, here's a good principle for you to learn. Children, pay attention here. All of you look up here. That's why it's important never to make fun of, a, of the way other children look or the way other adults look. That's something that's common for young people. They like to laugh about how somebody looks or acts or walks a particular way. And you ought to never do that because if you do that, you're attacking God. Now, as we move on here, this commandment is of such great importance uh, because it is a disregard for human life. You see, murder comes from a disregard for another human life created in the image of God. It is to have a contempt for another man, uh, which is really rooted in a contempt for God. And so this is why this commandment is of such great importance. Now, as we return back to Exodus chapter 20, here's a second question, and, and that is, how is this sixth commandment expanded? And what I mean by expanded here, I, I, I don't want to go immediately into the spirit of the law, but in the Old Testament, really in the book of Exodus, and really here in the very next chapter, how is this commandment expanded by Moses? 
what does he want the children of Israel to know? What does he want the children of Israel to understand concerning this sixth commandment? As we've noted already, I hope I've made note of that, that every single commandment that we find here, all ten commandments, are expanded in the book of Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. In other words, it's not just these ten commandments and that's it. Uh, every single other commandment or addition to those commandments are part of, you might say, a family of sin. And so in each one of those commandments, there is a family of sin that arises out of that one commandment. Now notice in Exodus chapter 21 how this sixth commandment is expanded. Let's just begin in verse 12. Notice with me, Exodus chapter 21, verse 12. So this is not uh, uh, much later. This is immediately after the Ten Commandments, Exodus 21, verse 12. He that smiteth a man, so that he die. Now I want you to notice here, he that smiteth a man, it doesn't say here, he that killeth a man. He says, he, he that smiteth a man, so that he die. In other words, it was not the intent of a man to kill him. But he smote him, and when he smote him, he killed him. Do you see that? And so we, we might call that today involuntary manslaughter, where somebody did not intend to kill him, but their actions caused that person to die. And in this case, he says, He that smiteth the man so that he die, note the consequence of that, shall be surely put to death. So notice in this sense, the Bible says, even involuntary manslaughter, you would die. That would be the consequence. Why? Well, here in this case, it's not just involuntary manslaughter in the sense that we might think today, if I drive a car and I don't pay attention or somebody's on their phone and then you end up hitting somebody, well, well you didn't strike them purposely and right to harm them. That's not the intent. Uh, it was an accident, but that's still considered involuntary manslaughter. What I mean by involuntary is narrowed down to an act of harm, an act of hatred towards somebody else, even though you did not intend to kill them, warranted the death penalty. So understand here, this commandment, thou shalt not murder, is expanded, because here he says you have to be concerned even in you getting into a smiting match with another man, which, by the way, would arise because you're angry with a man, and you're fighting a man, and you may not intend to kill him, but peradventure he dies, then you would die. We continue in verse 13, And if a man lie, not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. Now, later we'll see about the cities of refuge, but that, that comes later. He says, But if a man come uh, presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar, that he may die. Verse 15, And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. Now notice here, the context here uh, is those who violate this commandment will be put to death. And notice here, the, the command in verse 12 was, if you smite a man, then you will be put to death, because the man dies. But here, when it comes to father and mother, he smites the father and mother, but there is no death that occurs. The father hasn't died, neither the mother has died, but the young man that strikes his father or his mother, he will be put to death. In other words, what we find here, it's in the same family. In other words, the same 
uh, wickedness of the heart that would smite another man, that would cause him to die, and then you would be put to death, is the same hatred of the heart that would cause you to smite your father or mother, which is also worthy of death. So do you see here the intent? It's part of the same family. There may be a different outcome. In other words, one smiting might kill a man. The same smiting might not kill a man, but the consequences are the same. You die. So we're still in the same family here. Notice verse 16. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, that's slavery, by the way, and if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. Now, in this case here, Notice, uh, he says, if you steal a man. Now, in this case, you, you don't strike a man. You don't intend to kill him. But you steal him. You rob him of the freedom and the dignity of living a life of freedom. And you sell him to another man. You were to die. Why? Because it's just as bad as murdering him. Why? Because you're killing his life. You're killing his life. In verse 17, notice, He that curseth his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, isn't it interesting? He had just said, If you strike your father or mother, you will be put to death. But here he says, If you curse, well, he says, Well, I didn't lay hands on them. You still would die. Why? Because it's part of the same family of sins. Do you see that? In other words, the place of origination that causes a young man to curse that causes someone to steal a man and to sell him as a slave, that causes a man to smite his father or his mother, that causes a man to smite another man and that he die, is part of the same family. Under the umbrella of the sin of murder. And so, it's important here to see that this law, this sixth commandment was expanded in a way that is was not carried out when Jesus Christ comes on the scene in the New Testament. And so, uh, think about it this way. Murder, therefore, includes the denial of respect for a father and mother. It includes the extinguishing of a person's liberty and happiness. It includes the destruction and the despising of another life that ought to be cherished. Leviticus 24.17 says, and he that killeth any man, any man, shall surely be put to death. But what is that really all rooted in? If a man takes it upon himself to kill another man, if a man smites a man, if a man smites his father or mother, if a man steals a man and sells him as a slave, if a man curses his father and his mother, what is all that? Uh, this is a group of crimes which might be uh, referred to as a rejection, an abasement, a contempt for the well-being, the liberty, and the welfare, the welfare of others, and for the respect that is rightly due. To a fellow man. Now, we see this commandment expanded. So, so it's not just limited to don't kill a man. Oh, I'm not guilty. Oh, wait a minute. There's a family. We see that expanded in Exodus 21. But here's the next question How were the children of Israel taught to think? How did God want them to think about the sin of? 
of murder. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus in chapter 19. Leviticus in chapter 19. Leviticus 19, and notice with me, let's um, begin reading in verse 16. Uh, Leviticus 19, verse 16. It's interesting, I, uh, recently I listened to an interview, and uh, it, it was a Jew talking to a Christian, and they were talking about the differences between Judaism and Christianity. And uh, it was interesting how the Jew, even present-day Jew, uh, said uh, that um, there's a difference between... Uh, they use the the example of committing adultery and lusting. And he says there's a difference, and it's not the same. And I would say, I agree, it's not the same. But they're both sins. And what the Jew was saying is, well, uh, lusting doesn't hurt anybody, and uh, you're you're not violating that commandment if you're lusting. Well, that's where he went wrong. Why? Because he's only concerned about the letter of the law. And he attacked the Christian. He says, well, that's a Christian thing. Is it a Christian? Is that strictly a New Testament idea and principle uh, that there is a spirit of this law that ought to be carried out? Oh, oh no, it's uh, an Old Testament truth. Turn, uh, no, notice Leviticus 19. Let's begin reading verse 16. He says... Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, do you notice here what he says? He's talking here about talebearing. And then immediately he says, Thou shalt not stand against the blood of thy neighbor. In other words, he equates talebearing, speaking, Uh, falsely about somebody else as standing against their blood. Now, is it as bad, we might say, in human affairs uh, to be a tail-bearer against somebody rather than killing them? We might say, well, the consequences are different. Certainly the consequences are different, but they're both sins, and they're both of the same nature. Notice verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Ah, you see that? It's not just about... uh, It was interesting in the Jew in the interview says, Well, you know, uh, I may think ill of you, but as long as I don't act on it, I'm okay. No, you're not. It shows the sinfulness of your heart. God's commandment, notice, in the book of Leviticus, did not stop at just saying, Well, as long as you don't kill, you're okay. No. He said... Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt not in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. That's the spirit of the command. In other words, How did God want them to think? How did He want His people to think when He says, Thou shalt not kill? He wanted them to think beyond just the letter of the law. And He wanted them to think in this way, Don't hate your brother. Don't be a tailbearer against your brother. Don't hold any grudges against your brother. And if you do so, you're standing against His blood. Now, in this chapter, Moses associates the sins of 
killing with hatred, the sin of uh, of uh, uh, killing with slander, with gossip, with vengeance, with hostile resentment, with feuding, with holding grudges. Uh, by the way, Jesus Christ knew the law better than the religious leaders of his day. Uh, Jesus did not correct the Old Testament, uh, nor did he throw away the Old Testament and replace it with the new. He captured, he recaptured the spirit of the Old Testament. That's what he did. You remember what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7? Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he not? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was threatened, he threatened not. He lived not just by the letter of the law, but he lived by the spirit of the law. You see, that is the way God wanted the children of Israel to think all along. It was not just about the letter. There was a spirit in this commandment that also needed to be fulfilled. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Let's see what Jesus says. Jesus, by the way, um, perfectly captures the truth of the sixth commandment and explains it in the way it was always intended of God. This is a very important here. Jesus is not preaching anything new. You remember throughout his entire ministry, he would remind the Jewish authorities... Have ye not read? And you remember here in Matthew 5 and, and 6 and 7, what he keeps saying, he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old. Who? Well, the, the, the man, man-made authorities over you. That's what they've said to you. But let me bring your attention to the Word of God. Notice Matthew 5 and... Verse 21, he says, Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Is not what Leviticus 19 said? That's all he's quoting here. But here, there's a tendency, by the way, in man to, to emphasize right, the Ten Commandments. That's a significant moment. And so the, 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 the natural man is most likely to limit himself by the awesome moment of when the Ten Commandments was given and not to go into the weeds and the details, I shouldn't call them weeds, the great details of the commandments when they're expanded. He's more likely to focus on the grandeur of the simple statements than to go into the spirit of the law and what was intended. And so Jesus continues and he says, Verse 22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, uh, here is Jesus capturing the intent of the sixth commandment, by the way, that we find in Exodus 21 and also in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, the intent of the sixth commandment was to include anger and hatred. The word, by the way, raka, if you say to your brother, raka, the word raka means empty one, worthless. 
Do you remember what, when that commandment was first given, was Genesis chapter 9? You remember when God gave that commandment? He says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And so when a man says to his brother, Raka, he's saying, You are worthless. You are empty. You have no worth to me. Wait a minute. He is made in the image of God. You cannot say to another man that he is worthless. To say to a brother, Raka, is to deem that brother empty of any worth. To deem a brother worthless. This expression was intended, by the way, to humiliate somebody. You are worthless. Raka. By the way, a parent should never say that to their children. You are worthless. My my dad uh, said that his uh, dad would say, uh, are you ever, to his children, are you ever going to amount to a hill of beans? That's an old expression. But sometimes if we're not careful, we say things and we never want to convey to our children, even when they do something wrong, that they are worthless and without any value. We should never do that. Uh, that, That's what raka means. You have no value. Uh, It's really, uh, the intent is to humiliate somebody. And parents should never try to humiliate their children. They should try to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so the expression, by the way, what would that do to somebody? It's not, you're not physically killing them, but you are crushing their spirit. That's the spirit of the commandment. Uh, He says, if any man say, thou fool... Uh, really the expression thou fool was used to basically inflict hurt and it was the idea of I'm rejecting you. I am rejecting you. So think about this way. If you hate your brother, if you're angry at your brother and you say Raka, you're worthless, thou fool, I'm rejecting you. You have violated the sixth commandment. So that, by the way, that is what the children of Israel were taught to think. That's how God wanted to think about it. That's how Jesus Christ brings it up to His disciples. And He says, I want you to think the same way about this commandment. By the way, when we think about the spirit of the commandment, we are most grateful for Jesus Christ because we recognize that we can never fulfill the law when we understand the spirit of it. By the way, that's why the Jew still will not get saved today. Why? Because he thinks he has fulfilled the law. Because he doesn't recognize the spirit of the law. He only has a supervisual view of the Word of God. And so, the next question though is, uh, what sins then are in the murder category? Now, if you think about it, right, there's a contempt. You look at somebody else as being worthless, as being inadequate, as as a reject. And you, you don't recognize them for the worth they have in the eyes of God. By the way, none of us Christians, none of us Christians would advocate if we believe the Word of God and are faithful to God and His Word, we would all stand against abortion. Why? Because we say it is the disregard of human life that's made in the image of God. But let me ask us this. Do we disregard other human life today? I'm talking about those who are alive. We, we would never advocate for uh, abortion to be perishable. 
but we are, but are we okay with disregarding any other human life as worthless? Turn with me to the New Testament here as we uh, delve into the spirit a little further of this commandment. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and <clears throat> verse 20. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 20. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. Lest there be, here is what he says, debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, Backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. When he talks about debates, that's, that's quarreling, arguing with one another just for the sake of arguing. When he talks about swellings, the idea of swelling here is the word means um, that you think yourself superior to others and you belittle them because you think yourself superior. And so when we think about here, we think about uh, arguing and, and being hostile towards other people and to be angry and to have a temper and, and to gossip and to slander, uh, which by the way means that uh, you slander is, is this, morally it is putting somebody to death. That's what slander is. You're saying something about somebody that is not true. You are ruining their testimony. You are ruining their life. Slander is the death of somebody by the tongue. Uh, turn with me to the book of Galatians. In chapter 5, he talks about uh, the works of the spirits, uh, the, the work of the spirit, in, um, or the work of the flesh, excuse me. Not the spirit. He talks about the fruit of the spirit. But he talks here about the, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Galatians 5, verse 20. Uh, notice in the middle he says, verse 20, hatred, that's a work of the flesh. Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, what's the next word? Murders. So, again we have the, the same family. In Romans chapter 1, by the way, here in Galatians 5 he's talking to believers Remember, he just told them in Galatians 5, he says, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he says, The works of the flesh are these. Here's how you can identify whether you are walking after the flesh. There's going to be hatred in the church. There's going to be variance and emulations and wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. Were they literally killing each other? I think not. So what is he talking about? Is that what was going on in the church Galatia, or the churches of Galatia? That people were just murdering somebody else? No. Notice there's a family of sins here. And they all belong under the same category. It is holding somebody with contempt and disregard. Considering somebody else worthless that you would attack them and slander against them and say all kinds of things that are untrue about them. You see, these offenses are intended to destroy, to hurt, to injure, to maim in some way your fellow man. By the way, that's exactly what is described of those who are 
reprobate in Romans chapter 1. Full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful. All within that same category. It's interesting, in one sense he's talking about unregenerate man, and in the other sense he's talking about regenerate man. But I believe when he's talking to regenerate man, he's not talking here about literal murder. I don't think everybody was killing each other literally in the church. So you say, well, what is he talking about? I'm glad you asked that question. Which will bring me to another question that I'm going to answer your question with, that you didn't ask me, I just asked rhetorically. What is the most common murder weapon in the church? Oh, you already know the answer, so we're done. We can go home. No. Let's go to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. I'm trying to show us here that the sin of murder is, is much, it's much more, the violation of that sixth commandment, the spirit of that commandment is much more prevalent than we think. James chapter 3, notice with me verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of, what's the next word? Deadly poison. So the Bible says here that the tongue acts as a deadly poison. Let me ask you this. What is the intent of deadly poison? To kill. So well, how can you kill somebody? Well, we're not talking about literally killing somebody. We're talking about killing somebody with the tongue. The tongue is full of deadly poison. Verse 9, he says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. I want you to think, the two times that God says you should not kill a man because he's made in the image of God, the first time he talks about literal murder, the second time he's talking about the tongue. Why? Because man is made after the similitude of God. And she would say, oh, I haven't disregarded God because I haven't physically killed anyone. Well, let me ask you this. Have you used your tongue against somebody? Then you have violated, you have violated the sixth commandment. Notice verse 14 of the same chapter. But if we have bitter, here it is, envyings and strife in your, what is it, the word? Hearts. Glory not and not lie not against the truth. Uh, go to even chapter 4, verse 1. He says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, uh, even of your lusts which war in your members? Ye lust and have not. What's the next two words? Ye kill. Are, are, are we saying that Pastor James was saying that everybody was physically killing each other? No, the context is the tongue. Wars and fightings among them. And he says to them, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. Ye fight and war. You fight among yourselves. You war among yourselves. Ye have not because ye ask not. You see, these church members were not literally killing each other. However, they were killing each other with their tongue, with the bitter envying and strife. The tongue today... Because here, most people would say, I have not committed. I have not broken the sixth commandment. I'm good. I have not violated this commandment. And we might think of, well, I've not taken a weapon. I've not struck a man with my hand. No, no, no. You see, the most common murder weapon today, 
that is used to violate the sixth commandment is the tongue. So how often have, have we done that? If we've done that, then we are guilty of violating the spirit of the sixth commandment. But there's another question as we go further. By the way, I could uh, spend some time expanding, but, but I hope it's sufficient. But the next commandment is, what about involuntary murder? <laughs> you say, well, what, is, what do you mean? Well, uh, in the law today, there are two categories. If you think about involuntary manslaughter, there is manslaughter by an unlawful and dangerous act. Uh, let me put it this way. Um, if if um, you drink and you're drunk and you drive and you hit a car head on and you kill the person in the car, uh, somebody may say, well, you didn't have your senses, and so, uh, but you did an illegal act. So that illegal act needs to be punished. And when you killed that other person, it was not, you didn't um, conspire to do it. And so it might be considered uh, uh, um, involuntary manslaughter and the fact that you did something that was unlawful and that was dangerous, but you didn't intend to kill somebody, but that happened, and here's the consequences. And so there's that aspect. But then there's the manslaughter by criminal negligence. And that is, uh, you might think about uh, somebody that failed to do something. It's not some, somebody that did something, a criminal act, that caused somebody to die, uh, but uh, criminal negligence is you failed to do something that you ought to have done. So we can be guilty of committing a crime today, whether it is voluntary or involuntary. Whether we were involved in a dangerous act or whether we were uninvolved in a dangerous act, and so when we think about it, and by the way, we can apply that to the tongue. Sometimes we may say things and we hurt someone, although we may not have intended to hurt that person, but we end up hurting that person. But then when we think about, so what is negligence then? Well, to explain that, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Um, you remember the spirit of the law is... Uh, we shouldn't hold anybody in contempt. We should not disregard life that's made in the image of God. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul says this as he's taught, writing to the church at Rome. And he says in verse 14, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I want you to think here about Paul saying, I am a debtor both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And so he felt an indebtedness, an indebtedness to preach the gospel. Correct? Now, if you are indebted today, let's say you go in debt. And I hope you do that as rarely as possible. But if you ever go in debt... If you don't pay that debt, there are consequences for that. And so an indebtedness means that you intend to fulfill an, the indebtedness that you have. And, and if you don't, 
it would be because you, you chose not to. So in that sense, well, uh, I was uh, here. He says, I'm not going to neglect because I am indebted and I ought to pay this forward. What's the forward? It's, well, here it's, it's the gospel. You see, uh, here when he talks about an indebtedness, uh, an indebtedness to preach the gospel, well, how does he carry forth that indebtedness? He carries forth that indebtedness by being a witness, by speaking the truth of the gospel. And remember, he told to the believers at Ephesus, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I've been faithful to be obedient to God. I've preached the gospel uh, to, uh, to everyone. And so I, I wonder if we're thinking about, well, uh, what if we can bring that commandment to the furthest extent that we may and say, is it possible for us to commit involuntary manslaughter in the sense that we disregard and we have a contempt for man, not because of what we do to him, but because of what we withhold from him? That's how Paul felt. I am a debtor. And if I don't carry forth my indebtedness, then you remember what he said, James? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I like what Peter Master says. He says, We must remember that viewed from a human standpoint, souls are lost by a variety of causes. Some die from gospel starvation, having received no spiritual sustenance from believers who lived next door or who worked in the same place or even through hearing no evangelistic preaching at church. Some die from suffocation because people who breathe the air of spiritual life have no compassion for them. Some perish from the poison of error despite the fact that they, there were believers close by who could have put them right. And some are crushed and battered into confusion and doubt by the inconsistent lives of professing Christians, perhaps even parents. And, and so I wonder today if we may not be involved directly in, in the act of murder, in uh, violating the spirit of the law, but also to know that there is a sense in which if we restrain ourselves from doing something that we ought to do, that do we not hold the souls of men in contempt? Let me ask you this, parents with children. You know that it is your responsibility to bring the children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Why? Because their souls are made in the image of God. Their souls have value. And God has given you that responsibility to teach them and to train them and to bring them up. And if you fail to... So, by the way, you have that responsibility to do that. And so therefore, if you don't do it, isn't that involuntary contempt? Say, well, I love my child. Well, are you doing what's best for your child? Are you telling your child the truth? Are you instructing them in the ways of the Lord? You, you see, sometimes it's very important for us to think about those commandments, not in the sense of, well, I don't do this, so I'm fine. But we have to ask ourselves the other side of that is what are we not doing that is also a violation of that commandment? Why? Because it is rooted in the same thing. Now we may make excuses. We may say, although I preached a message recently about Samuel and how Hannah uh, 
train her son Samuel from when he was a child to worship God. And I wonder, sometimes we make excuses as parents where we say, well, our ch- my children are too young, I'm not going to spend the time when they're young, I'll just wait till they get older. And when they get older, you realize, oh, well, now they're teenagers, let them live their teenage years, and then when they become adults, it's too late. And you make excuses by pushing things back, you're despising their souls. If you come to somebody and you have a neighbor and you have an opportunity to witness to them and maybe the Lord prompts you and says you ought to witness to your neighbor or a coworker, whatever it is, and you don't do it, could we not say that this is involuntary, but you, do you not despise their soul? Uh, what if it, you were on the other side and uh, you, you knew what you know now? Would you not want them to tell you? So, what about involuntary manslaughter? The the spirit of the commandment. Let's conclude, and I'll just briefly touch on this, but what are the opposite positive virtues? Well, James tells us in the midst of this in James 3, after he talks about the tongue and the deadly poison it is, he says, But the wisdom that is from above, in James 3.17, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Them that make peace. Remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. What is the opposite virtues? What are the opposite virtues? Unselfishness, affection, esteem, kindness, friendliness, helpfulness, supportiveness, encouragement, sympathy. Or we may put it the way Ephesians 4.31 says... Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So let's start over with the sixth commandment. I'm not starting over the message, don't worry. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. We understand the spirit of the law. I hope to some degree that we must be careful, very careful if we say, well, I have violated that commandment. I'm all good. No, it is our duty to measure our lives by the word of God to see if we violated the spirit of the law. What is that? Are we counting others as worthless, empty, without worth? Now you can do so by either doing something to harm or withholding something that you ought to do. It goes both ways.